23rd, 2017, a 33-year-old rock climber did something that no person had ever done before. His name is Alex Honnold, and Alex climbed El Capitan, a 3,000-foot vertical cliff of, of pure granite, and he did so free solo. Free solo means he climbed that cliff in Yosemite National Park in California without any ropes and without any gear, 3,000 feet. Alex Honnold was all in on June 3rd, 2017. Alex uh, says, I want to climb in the best places in the world, and that's my focus. So I'm willing to give up having stability, having a shower, having whatever in order to climb the way that I want. I am probably more intentional with the way I live my life than virtually anybody, he says. I have made clear choices about what I find value in, what risk I am willing to take. Alex Honnold was all in when he climbed El Capitan that day. But a lot of people don't know that Alex was all in for many years before he ever made that climb. Alex knew that if he was going to be successful, it would take more than sheer luck. It would take unwavering commitment and devotion. So, for 10 years before he made that free solo climb, he climbed El Capitan over 50 times with ropes. He even rappelled down from the top numerous times only to climb his way back up so he could learn every single handhold and foothold and the precise sequence of movements that he would need to reach his goal. Alex Honnold was all in. That term all in comes from the game of poker. It indicates that a player in a poker game, if they're all in, they put all their chips on the table, risking all of their money. The player is chosen to be wholly committed to stake everything on the cards he holds in his hand. Alex Honnold brings new meaning to the term all in because he didn't just risk a large sum of money. He chose to risk his very life. I want to ask you a question. Are you all in? If so, to what are you all in? To what are you so committed that you are prepared to take risks? To what are you so committed that you're willing to sacrifice financially? To what are you so committed that you are willing to surrender your time? To what are you so committed that you are willing to risk your very life? Well, today, I want to talk to you about being all in in something that's much more important. In fact, it's infinitely more important than a poker game or climbing a mountain. I want to talk to you about what it means to be all in in our relationship with God. I'm going to ask you to stand again as I read a passage from God's Word. This is from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And it's a passage that talks about being all in with God. It says this, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, 
Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. Please be seated. What's the first word in this passage? What was, what's that? Therefore. A wise man once said it's important to know what a therefore is there for. A therefore references what was just previously said or discussed. So we need to ask the question, what was just discussed before the therefore? The correct answer is, ding, 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 faith. Specifically, the faith exhibited by many followers of God who lived in Old Testament times. In fact, the clause following the therefore describes the group of Old Testament God followers as a cloud of witnesses. Now, the phrase doesn't mean that those who have died in the faith and gone to heaven are sitting there watching your and my every move. God followers who have died and gone to heaven have better things to do than to watch you and me. They're doing the same thing that we will be doing when we are in God's presence, worshiping him in awe and wonder and enjoying him forever. What this phrase does mean is that the faith of these Old Testament God followers serves as an example, as a testimony, as a witness to us of what real faith looks and acts like. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 11, verse 6, that without faith, it's impossible for you and me to please God. Chapter 11 gives us a long list of individuals who exercise the kind of faith that pleases God. Who were they? Well, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the children of Israel, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets are all mentioned. The writer of Hebrew continues, he says, because of the faith witnessed in these individuals, you and I must do something. The writer says in verse 1, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. The New Testament frequently uses the metaphor of a race to describe the Christian life. The Apostle Paul said to the elders at Ephesus, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. To Timothy, Paul exclaimed, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. To the Corinthians, Paul urged, Don't you know that runners in a a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. God says that if you are his follower, you are in a spiritual race. It's not a 100-meter sprint like Usain Bolt ran and won in three Olympic Games. No, it's a marathon. God has designed and equipped you and me to be spiritual marathon runners. But no serious runner just shows up for a marathon without a lot of preparation training, self-discipline, and focus. And the same is true in the spiritual race that we call 
the Christian life. The first act of preparation we are commanded to observe in verse 1 of the passage that we just read is to lay aside every weight. Well, during training, weight's a good thing. It's used to strengthen an athlete and develop her muscles. But in an actual race, a weight is a bad thing. It's heavy. It's a hindrance. It slows down the runner. Athletes work hard to shed absolutely as much weight as possible from their bodies before a race. Well, what's the correlation for us who are running the race of the Christian life? We need to minimize anything, even good things, that weigh us down. Things that occupy our time and attention, things that keep us from being spiritually fit and toned to run the race and win. Sometimes good or neutral things that can serve as weights or hindrances to us running the race of the Christian life are things we need to get rid of. Well, what are some of those? Sometimes work, family, recreational and leisure activities, travel, education, retirement, and even being busy with church activities are a few. Now, don't get me wrong. None of these things in and of themselves are bad. In fact, many of them are good. But good things in our life can serve as weights that slow us down, prevent us from winning, or even prevent us from completing the race. We need to choose to say no to some things. We need to focus on running to win. What about you? Are you all in when it comes to laying aside every weight, even good things, to run the marathon of the Christian life? Well, we're exhorted to lay aside every weight weight to run the race called the Christian life, and we are urged to lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares us. To run the race and win, we have to prepare our hearts. Sin in our life is evidence of a divided heart. When we yield to sin, it becomes our master. The Bible says that we become a slave to whatever we serve. The Bible also says that we can't serve two masters. We can't serve both Jesus and the world. No runner that has a divided heart will ever be successful in a race. I am sure that most runners like food, but a runner who allows himself to be enticed by Baconators and poutine and regularly gorges himself on this cuisine will not win many races. Sin is like that. It boasts great promises, just like the Baconator and the, and the uh, Poutine. But it ensnares a Christian runner, just like a spider's web ensnares a lizard. The lizard spies a tasty black morsel just off his path. But he doesn't know the web is a deadly trap. He becomes caught. And rather than enjoying a tasty morsel, he suffers great tragedy. Well, what are some things that God calls wrong that can easily ensnare us? Greed, envy, gluttony, anger, laziness, lust, and pride. Those are just a few examples. To finish a race and win requires the runner being all in during the preparation and training phase. Are you all in? When it comes to resisting sin, do you choose to follow God's command in James 5.16 to confess your sins to another believer? Do you choose to make yourself accountable by authentically disclosing your areas of weakness and temptation? 
if you do, you will receive much grace because God tells us in James 4, 6 that he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. You'll also be a part of fostering an environment where other believers will be encouraged to be real about their temptations and sins. I've learned this firsthand. As I've chosen to, to disclose my own sins and struggles, others have received permission to be real about their own sins and their own struggles. I was uh, going over my sermon yesterday afternoon, and, and God spoke to me, and right when I was on this card, he said, uh, um, hello, Kent. He said, uh, talk about uh, confessing your sins. I didn't like what you said about another believer today to someone else. That person wasn't present. I was speaking about. You spoke critically of that other person, and you didn't need to do that. You really gossiped. I want you to call the person that you spoke to and tell them that you were wrong, that you sinned when you said those things, and ask them to pray for you. And you know what? I did. I, call, I, I, call, I called up the individual, and I said, you know what? When we were talking, God, God spoke to me about something. We were talking earlier today, and I made some comments about so-and-so. Um, those were wrong. What I did was sin. I gossiped about that person. I said some things that were critical that I didn't need to say. And... Uh, I've confessed that to the Lord, and he's forgiven me, but he told me I needed to confess that to you. And uh, would, you, would, would you pray for me? And uh, I, I knew that as I did that, that I could stand before you and encourage you to do that because, uh, you know, doctors need to take their own medicine. They really do. Well, after we prepare our hearts by laying aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, what must we do next? The writer says that we must run with endurance the race that is set before us. Well, what does that mean? One, it means that you must choose to start the race. Think of how silly it would be to train for 12 months to run in a marathon only to remain at the starting line when the gun goes off. Your race starts when you choose to give control of your life to your head coach, Jesus Christ. He is the most loving, unselfish, and sacrificial coach you could ever imagine. In fact, he chose to lay his life down for you. But Jesus demands something. He demands your and my complete allegiance. He requires that we give him complete control of our lives. You say, Kent, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to yield control of my life to someone else? Well, it's because when you and I submit ourselves to the king, we become not only a citizen of his kingdom, we become his son or daughter. We enter into a relationship with the king that is more life-giving and fulfilling than any earthly relationship than we could imagine. We also become eligible for every benefit and blessing of the king. We gain access to everything that he has and that he possesses. Purpose, peace, forgiveness, release from shame, freedom, and life. Well, how do you and I know if we've given him control? When we choose to follow and obey him. What about you? Are you all in? Have you started the race and declared yourself a legitimate racer through being baptized? If not, Jesus is inviting you this morning to begin the marathon and to leave the starting line behind. But it doesn't stop there. A runner must not only start the race, she must run with endurance. She must run and continue running. She must keep running even when she feels exhausted, disillusioned, 
frustrated or inadequate. She has to remain all in even when she faces adversity. For those of us who have already begun the race, are you still all in? Are you running with endurance? Are you continuing to run even in bad weather, in the storms of life? Or have you become exhausted, disillusioned, and frustrated in your race? Perhaps you've even stopped running. Some of you may have veered off the course slowly and imperceptibly or even suddenly by exerting your own will. Whatever your situation in regard to the race, God is not disappointed in you. He loves you. Today, he invites you to simply start running again and to keep running. Some of you may be thinking, yeah, running the race with faith may be well and good for Old Testament saints. You know that list of people we read earlier? But I don't have what it takes. Those guys were way more spiritual than I am. They had their act together. Oh, really? Let's see. Abraham was a liar. Sarah disbelieved God and laughed in his face. Jacob, he was a manipulator and schemer. Joseph had a macho complex and was consumed with pride. Moses had anger management issues. The children of Israel were idolaters and complainers. Rahab was a prostitute. Gideon, who we talked about last week, lacked self-confidence and was a spiritual skeptic. Barak was anxious and fearful. Jephthah made rash vows that resulted in the death of his own daughter. Samson was a womanizer, sexually addicted, and was rebellious toward his parents. Samuel had to deal with rebellious, godless children. And David was an adulterer and murderer. These Old Testament followers of God weren't super spiritual. They were ordinary Joes or Marys, just like you and me. They sometimes blew it. They sometimes sinned big time. They sometimes brought shame on themselves, their families, their friends, and their Lord. But that's not what they are remembered for in Hebrews 11. No, they are remembered for the moment or moments in their lives in which they believe and depended upon God. If they possessed and demonstrated faith despite their human frailties, so can you and I. The writer of Hebrews not only tells us of the need to prepare well for the race and to run with endurance, he also tells us where we can find this ability, no matter the level of adversity that we face. He says, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. If you and I are to run the race of the Christian life with endurance, we must keep our eyes on Jesus. Some translations read, Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The Greek word literally means to stare. Why must we fix and keep our eyes on Jesus? First, because Jesus is the source of our faith. We can't manufacture faith ourselves. It comes from Jesus. As long as you and I keep our eyes trained and focused on him, faith is produced within us. The, the connection between looking at Jesus and faith was evident in Peter's life. Matthew records that one night, Jesus came walking on the water as the disciples were attempting to boat across the Sea of Galilee during a storm. As Peter looked at Jesus, he received faith to walk on the water too. But the moment 
Peter became distracted by the waves and the wind and looked away from Jesus, his faith waned and he began to sink. What about you? Are you keeping your eyes on Jesus? Are you staying connected to the source of faith? Or are you focusing upon the storms of life around you? We must keep our eyes on Jesus because he is the source of our faith. And second, we must keep our eyes on Jesus because he's the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who develops and strengthens our faith and brings it to completion. Sometimes we stumble and fall. We take a tumble in our race. Peter did. Three times he publicly denied he even knew Jesus. But Jesus had seen Peter's fall coming. He told Peter before it ever happened, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew that Peter was going to take a big tumble. He knew that Peter was going to deny him, but Jesus prayed for Peter that despite his emotional blow-up, that Peter would keep running the race and encouraging his fellow runners. Jesus was not only the source of Peter's faith, he was the perfecter too. Jesus' prayer for Peter was answered by God. Peter was used mightily in the days after Jesus' ascension. Jesus' prayer kept Peter from abandoning the race. Did you know that Jesus has been and is praying for you? Hebrews 7.25 says this, He, Jesus, is always able to save those who come to God through him since he always leads, lives, listen to this, to intercede, to pray for them. Jesus has been praying that you would not abandon the race, that even after a fall, you would rejoin the race and pursue the identity he has planned for your life. He has been praying that you would be all in. Jesus has also been praying for Hawkwood Baptist Church. He's praying that you and I as a spiritual family would not throw in the towel, but that we would allow him to perfect our faith and keep us on course. That we as a church body would choose to be all in. We must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus because he's the source of our faith, the perfecter of our faith, and third, because he is our goal. To complete and win a race, a runner must stay focused on the prize that awaits her when she crosses the finish line. The thought of that prize enables the runner to be all in, even when it hurts. For the Christian, for you and for me, Jesus is the prize that awaits us at the finish line. He is our goal. As we focus our gaze on him, We are empowered with the faith needed to keep running the race, to finish, and to win. The last thing the writer tells us in these verses is that Jesus is our example in running the race. He says of Jesus, Who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Jesus was willing to endure the cross and embrace its shame as if it were nothing. Why? For the joy that awaited him at the finish line. 
the joy of fulfilling his Father's will and the joy of knowing that through his obedience, you and I could be restored to relationship with God. Jesus was all in. As you and I ponder his example and the sacrifice he made for us, we find new strength and courage. Verse 3 says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. If we keep our eyes on Jesus and remember how he endured in the face of extreme hostility, we won't grow weary or lose heart. We will remain all in. In just a few moments, we are going to observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. In this memorial act, we remember Jesus' sacrifice for us on the, on the cross. We remember that he was all in. As we prepare to partake of the meal, God is giving us an invitation. I believe he's inviting you and me to grapple with a question, and the question is this. Are you and I all in when it comes to our relationship with God? If not, the Lord's Supper, communion, is the perfect time to commit or recommit ourselves to laying aside every weight, to leaving behind the sin that so easily ensnares us, to running with endurance the race that is set before us, will you choose to be all in with God? Let's pray. Father, as we prepare to partake of this memorial meal in which we remember what it costs Jesus for us to be forgiven of our sins and to be made right with you. Help us to authentically and genuinely examine our hearts to see if we are all in. And Lord, if not, help us to hear your invitation today to start running the race again. Thank you, Lord, that you've not left us to run the race on our own. You've given us so much help to be able to run it. You've given us your, your word to teach us what is right, teach us the truth about who you are and what you've done. You've given us your spirit to dwell, to live inside of us, to empower us, to help us through all the, all the ups and downs of the race. But Father, the one thing you, want do, you won't do for us is to choose to run the race or to choose to start running again or to choose to be all in. Help us today to each make that choice before you and may you be pleased with our hearts. For we ask it in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.